Hello and welcome everyone. This is Charging Up Leadership. I am your host, Heidi Fry, and this podcast is all about energizing you from the inside out with a mission of inspiring leaders to plug in, light up, and just be the best versions of themselves and how they live and lead. Hello, everyone. I am very excited to dive into a conversation with today's guest, Dr. Eric Goodman. You are in for a treat. Eric is so smart, so well-read. He's like a walking encyclopedia, so accomplished. And I know we are going to have a very organic, dynamic, and enlightening conversation. A few highlights about Dr. Eric Goodman. He has a PhD in business with a focus in organizational development. Love that. He is a self-proclaimed recovering academic as a former professor and as a former dean for a decade to one of the nation's largest business schools. He's published. He has a new book that he co-authored. It's coming out this fall. He's certified in neuro-linguistic programming, and he leverages all of this rich background within his consulting and training company, Meridian Success Group, where he delivers customized solutions that directly impact culture and performance to help organizations create a competitive advantage, backed by a mountain of research, best practices, and years of practical experience. I can tell you when I first met Eric, the first thing I thought was, what a solid, awesome person of integrity, quite literally, a good man. A native of Colorado, a lover of the outdoors, a family man and father of two daughters, welcome to Charging Up Leadership, Dr. Eric Goodman. Hey, I'm so excited to be here and have the opportunity to have a fun discussion with you, Heidi. <laughs> fun? You got it. It will be fun. It will, will be great, for sure. So there are so many topics. I... I I'm afraid we might have to go to part two. See, I'm already I'm already manifesting that or forecasting that into our future here. I have topics like, and we're I think we'll start emotional intelligence, leadership, your own research on leadership, the brain, uh, organize organizational development, NLP, communication tools, assessments. We've got nothing to talk about. Ah, I think we'll need more than a part two. It might, <laughs> it might be like a whole month long series. Who knows? Who yeah. knows? Right. All right. So let's start with the behemoth topic. Uh, I think, well, the brain, the brain's big too. How about emotional intelligence? So I'm a fan of Daniel Goleman. I know you are too. Yeah. And Yes, because I did listen in on one of your podcasts with yeah. Charles Cormier. Yes, I admit that. Uh, it's right. great, everyone. If you want to listen to it, go for it. Yeah. Uh, I think people are very aware of self-awareness and maybe even self-management, but I don't think people are as aware of that other major component, which is social awareness. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess on the whole topic... Well, so to talk about social awareness, I think it's helpful to just start with emotional intelligence for people that aren't familiar with it. And people heard of IQ, <laughs> your, your intellectual quotient. 
EQ or EI, emotional intelligence, is not EQ, is the emotional quotient. And it's really multifaceted. And it it has to relate to the self-awareness, which you've mentioned, and then self-management. But the other part of it is the social awareness. And I like to think about it. It's an easy concept when you break it down to your intrapersonal, which is your self-awareness, and mm-hmm. then how are you managing and regulating your own emotions. And ultimately... Do you recognize what's going on and do you have the capacity in real time to recognize and understand what's maybe triggering you or what's happening? And when that happens with your intrapersonal self is, are you regulating your emotions? So there's that part of it. So most people are aware of self-awareness, not people, not as many people are good at the self-management or self-regulation of that. But ultimately, when it comes down to then the interpersonal it's in relationship to somebody else. Like, and so when you talk about social awareness, it's really, you know, the difference between being inwardly focused, intrapersonal, understanding myself, and then it's outwardly focused with the social awareness. Can I recognize and understand other people? And then can I manage that social relationship in a way that's appropriate in terms of how I communicate, how I speak and connect with them? Really, in some respect, people think of it sort of as empathy and understanding exactly a little bit better, like what other people are really saying and how they're feeling in the sense of being socially aware. And then also, though, regulating in the same way that interaction like you do for yourself, relating with other people, because other people probably trigger you, (laughs) maybe based on something they do or say. And are you aware of how you're reacting or potentially responding to them proactively rather than just reacting and having a trigger go off? Can you actually recognize and have that awareness as well of what's going on? And it also extends in terms of the social awareness. Technically, it's not just interpersonal. There's a little bit of the organizational awareness also in terms of what's going on in a workplace setting. Can you understand and recognize Even individuals have emotions and different states and groups have group dynamics and power dynamics and even the mood of a meeting room, for example. And so it's just being socially aware that we're talking about. Does that help with sort of understanding a little bit about? You said a few things that I had, of course, I know of social awareness and emotional intelligence. That's my business as well, but I had never heard it you know, articulated that way. So kudos to you, because I know many people who have said, I'm just not very empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't connected that to social awareness. And I also have heard those same people as they age, they are more socially aware, or they do self acknowledge that they have gotten more empathetic as they've gotten older. So that was really interesting that you just said that. Um, And then the other concept I hadn't really thought of before, but it makes so much sense because we talk about cultures on teams, the organizational culture, and you just coined it. Did you coin it or did somebody else coin it? I'm not sure. But you just coined this organizational awareness. Go ahead. Take the credit for it, man. Okay, I'll take it. I don't know. (laughs) I don't you know, I'm sure there's there's a lot of things that are in my brain that I've read over the years, and it's sort of all like that is not something I can contribute to like a certain individual, but it's it's all good. Gotcha. Well, organizational awareness, I love that because 
Amen. That's why I have a business. And that's part of the reason why you have a business. Not to say that we're not trying to make it better, but for sure. Huh. Okay. And then you also mentioned triggers, of course. I hadn't connected that. I guess I was thinking in terms of blind spots, primarily blind spots. Well, we definitely have blind spots as well in that self-awareness. Um, but we have our, you know, things that set us off also. And so you can look at um, the Johari window, like, you know, what yeah. people recognize that we don't really know. And that's where as a leader in an organization, if you've got like 360 feedback or are open to feedback and sometimes mm-hmm. you learn things that you didn't recognize about your own behavior as well. So there's, it's multifaceted. And when you talk about emotional intelligence, I think, but the, the core is really understanding, you know, that self-awareness, it really starts with that, but it's not enough to just be self-aware because you could recognize that maybe somebody triggered you. And then because of that, you're getting angry. But if you don't have the ability to regulate that and recognize like what's going on, like that guy just cut me off going down the road and, you know, something's happening and it ruins my day. Like, okay, but I can change my response to that. And of I think course. that's really, really a key is how do you regulate and are you being proactive between the stimulus and response to make a choice that's going to serve you in that situation, whether it's your own thoughts that enter your brain or somebody else saying something to you right. and how you perceive or interpret what they might share with you, Right. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I met a gentleman who I would say he was basically the creator of a pro of a program, really smart, smart, smart guy. And he said, Hey, I know I'm an a-hole, but at least I'm aware. And I remember that was the moment we disconnected because I was like, "Uh uh-uh, buddy, there's, Hmm. there's more to it than that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I find that, you know, there's a a number of leaders who might fit that same persona because <laughs> they're hard driving and it's all about them and doing things and they don't always have that awareness of that. And in this case, as a CEO and talking about, you know, how much buy-in and engagement he had from people in his, his, his organization, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a disconnect that came. He sort of had that awareness of that. And you know, I think part of it, when you're looking at social awareness and that interpersonal thing, if you know somebody isn't on the bus, so to speak, or they're right. struggling, or maybe right. they need support or whatever, are you willing to take the time from a social interaction or relationship perspective to help them and to support them? And so oftentimes those a-hole types that you're referring to <laughs> aren't going to create that type of a culture where they're nurturing and supporting their employees, right. helping right. develop, right? So find out who they are, though, because we'll end up doing business with those companies. That's right. Inevitably, right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's not a good long-term strategy. No, it's not. But it I, gets you short-term results, sure, but long-term fallout, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to lose people, and you're going to lose their their engagement and productivity eventually, and they're going to mm-hmm. go elsewhere. So I'm curious, based on your research, which, by the way, is not, I don't love research. So I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do, because I can ask you this question. Are there any statistics about leaders in general or maybe leaders in the C-suite related to emotional intelligence or lack thereof? You know, is there a 
Is there a ranking or any, anything you can share about emotional intelligence with leaders? Yeah, you know, when it, when it comes to the C-suite, I mean, the thing that's clear is that emotional intelligence is a key predictor to being able to get into the C-suite <laughs> and to be promoted and stuff. I mean, there's thousands of studies now at this point that have been done. When you look back to really probably emotional intelligence being popularized by, you know, Daniel Goldman, obviously. Sure. Um, Mayor and Salavoy in the late 80s, and actually it was a dissertation even before that where that was first coined. But ultimately, when you look at the stats around that, I don't off the top of my head have like, oh, this number of people in, you know, in CEO positions are emotionally intelligent as mm-hmm. defined by this tool. There's a lot of different measures of emotional intelligence as well. However, it's clear that from the research that the people that have more emotional intelligence make better leaders. Why? Because of what we were just talking about. <laughs> right, right. right. I, yeah. I guess I'm just, I'm wondering. Yeah, you know what I'm wondering. We don't need to say it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and it comes down to understanding and recognizing that there are leaders, again, that are going to achieve short-term success without maybe being as high in emotional intelligence, but that long-term success where they can really foster a positive, Mm -hmm. collaborative, even innovative work environment, it's closely linked to a leader's EQ. Um, There's different statistics. And and some people will say like, you know, 80% or 90% of the success in somebody in an organization is based on their EQ, not their IQ. And, you know, depends on the study. So you can find, you can find a statistic to support just about anything. Of course, of course. Um, but ultimately, we know that um, it it is related to success long term in building an effective team, a cohesive team, creating a powerful organizational culture, and really one that is also not only going to perform at a greater level, but is going to retain employees and and where they're going to want to be there and they're going to be engaged in the workplace. So. And I. I hear a lot of leaders talk about emotional intelligence connected to, or their perception is that it is the soft and squishy stuff. And so they, you know, they'll say to me like, oh yeah, we're going to do the, you know, the softy stuff. And I wish they could see the studies that tie it to the bottom line. Oh yeah. No, they're there. And I'm, I'm happy if someone's interested in learning more about some of the resources out there, they can certainly connect with me. And I'm happy to point them to dozens of, of <laughs> research studies that, you know, speak to that because it is it makes a huge difference. And it's not just in terms of the bottom line in the organization. When you start talking about the impact it has not only on their well-being, but their family, their success, mm-hmm. their health, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it transcends, you know, all their relationships and everything else. Because how you show up in one setting is often how you show up everywhere. Right. It's that self-awareness that makes a difference. But it is, you know, there unfortunately is a lack of awareness to some degree around, you know, why it's important to your point. Um, and- you think it's the lack of lack of awareness about its importance or lack of awareness about how it directly impacts what they feel is so important, which is the bottom line. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. And and it depends on the context, if the bottom line is what they see as most important. And it, typically, obviously, shareholder pressures and everything, that's a really key aspect of it. So I do think, you know, having that information and being able to share that. And there's studies that are out there and you can, you know, tie it. At least it correlates with other measures of productivity and profitability mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. same way that organizational cultures or engagement in the workplace and a lot of other things are related to data that you can point to where they've looked at, you know, hundreds of organizations and right, studied it. Right. See like, okay, organizations that have engaged workers have uh, 147% more profitability, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like things like that, that you could actually show in terms of the impact that it has in ultimately the bottom line, right? There is a very, very old uh, Harvard Business Review paper about the uh-huh. service chain, and it's been reprinted a couple times. It's an industry that I don't, I don't remember. It was never relevant when I was using it, but it, ta- yeah. it kind of tied it back to if the individuals that work in the organization see leadership as strong or they feel good in terms of the leadership, they show the chain and how that ends up being great for customer satisfaction. Like it totally links back to that area. Absolutely. Well, because you think about it, I mean, anybody in an organization is representing that organization, even if they're not customer facing in terms of how they show up. But ultimately, if you do not have happy, engaged employees that are interfacing with your stakeholders, whoever they may be, Right? how do you think that then impacts that person's experience versus, you know, if they are actually engaged and satisfied and enjoying the work that they do, you know, it's going to translate into the customer experience. And we know even when you look at the data on high employee engagement in organizations and Gallup is is all sorts of statistics around this, when you have employees that are engaged, and it doesn't have to be the person in the sales department necessarily, but that employee engagement, when you look at it holistically in an organization, can you'll see roughly a 20% increase in the sales for that organization. Mm. It speaks Mm. to, you know, that, and obviously an unhappy employee they're unhappy and miserable at work. How, what protecting You can think about people you've encountered like that, right? Right. right. And then how you walk away from that interaction feeling like, oh, I want to do business with this person again. I can't <laughs> wait to see him again. Oh, it's like, oh my God. Like you wonder, like, is it really that bad? And, you know, obviously a lot of people, unfortunately, and you can look at that in terms of the statistics around what, and percentage of people are actually engaged versus disengaged. Oh, but it's I, terrible. It, it translates right into that in terms right. of the customer satisfaction and customer service, ultimately, because if they're not having a good time. And I think back to, you know, like Southwest Airlines back in the day. I mean, it was one of the the highest rated airlines, customer satisfaction all the time in mm-hmm. an industry of ups mm-hmm. and downs and you know, the only one that was profitable for 20 some years and it was, you know, but it was, they treated their employees, they created a culture of fun mm-hmm. and, you know, th- that hiring process and the training process and how that came across in helping the passengers have fun, even on a flight and the latitude. I remember. Please, 
you know, obviously created that type of an experience, which allowed them, I think part of their secret sauce was that they treated their employees a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. And the employees treated their customers a certain way. So that service chain is very, very real. There's mm -hmm. no question. So let's put engagement on hold for a second. And, and just a couple more things about emotional intelligence. How, if, if a person is not immersed in that topic right now where they've heard it, but you know, it's something I go do a couple times a year, I go to a program and they mention it. So now I want to be deliberate and intentional. How do I, other than calling you or calling me, right? How do <laughs> I, as a leader, start to work on myself? That's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of different approaches you can take. I think in general, self-awareness starts with feedback and reflection, right? I mean, so- Jahari's window, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to understand how you're showing up and you may know certain things that other people don't know about yourself and that may not be transparent to others, but then mm -hmm. the flip side, right? That blind spot- and so ultimately starting with self-reflection that it can help you in figuring out your own emotions and your triggers. One of the key practices is, you know, journaling and recognizing, you know, how you're feeling. And there's hundreds no, of- No, now you just said the, you just said the F word. <laughs> I know, I shouldn't have gone there. But your emotions, I mean, there's patterns and things that happen that can be the first step towards- then being able to, it's that self-awareness. So then you can manage them and regulate them. Mm -hmm. And so it's that reflection, particularly if there's something emotionally charged that happens to actually take the time and reflect on it. And ultimately, you know, getting feedback from others and making sure that you're expanding and moving stuff that was in the blind spot into the known spot, if you will, mm -hmm. and then just go. And just encouraging feedback, whether it's, you know, in a formal thing that the organization is doing, but from your peers, your friends, your supervisors, you know, in your relationships, but understanding just how you're perceived by others. And sometimes too, it, it can be that. And, you know, we have an opportunity now with all the virtual stuff to begin recognizing many of us have moved to these Zoom meetings mm -hmm. or a video type meeting where we're actually recording the meetings. And so you have a huge opportunity to go back and look and recognize things that how you're coming across. For example, I was working with an individual who had a really stern look on his face when he, you know, and I'm like, sometimes I'll just go into an organization and observe people and how they manage the meetings and, and the group dynamics and the meetings and a, the type of environment they're creating. And Notice this individual and I'm like, and he would ask a question. He would get this really stern look on his face. And it's like, it wasn't surprising to me that no one would answer that question, <laughs> but because he had it, like, he was like going to jump on you type of like, <laughs> look. And ultimately he didn't even recognize, but that was his like concentrated thinking focus. Like I'm listening, but it was like a mean listening look. And it was like, okay, let's watch like this in action and you could go watch it. I mean, you can't dispute somebody's look on their face. And so sometimes it's just unknown to them how they're coming across or to anybody. So that's a part of it. I think the other thing is just active listening and really focusing on another person in terms of what they're saying. And most people are stuck thinking about what they're going to say next, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they're inside of their own head. 
And that's why even when we introduce ourselves to somebody else, and for the first time we're meeting them, they introduce half the time you don't remember their name because you're thinking about what you're going to say when you introduce yourself, because you're not paying attention and you're not in the here and now. You're thinking about how you're going to respond. And so just in terms of your social awareness, that plays a huge role in that. But, you know, you can log your emotions. You can look at, you know, different situations you've had that have been challenging and recognize, like, how did you react? And was it appropriate? And also just empathy, like practicing that when it comes to role playing, mindfulness and meditation, probably the best thing you can do is really just in terms of how do you stay present and being aware of your own emotions and noticing that because we all have different voices in our head, Mm -hmm. some some more than others, Um, but noticing the mind talk that's going on and how you can notice that it is just, it's a thought. And taking it as that and recognizing and being aware, is there value in that thought or not? And letting it go and getting refocused on what's important. But I mean, there's a lot of other exercises that I'm sure you utilize in helping people um, become more emotionally aware. And obviously, there's nothing like reading a book, too, if you want to just learn more about emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and how to do that. But, you know, of course, training and workshops like we both deliver things like that. And, you know, ultimately with the coaching work I do and you know, having the ability, whether it's a coach or a mentor or somebody, whether it's your supervisor, but somebody that can help you understand uh, and be more effective in what you're doing that might be observing you in the workplace, interacting with other people. So, I mean, I think those are a, a few good places to start. And then there's Terrific. a lot of other yeah. things you can do too. But Well, I'm wondering, yeah. can your spouse help you be more aware? Oh, for sure. Or is that a trigger? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, you know, that's a great question. Is it awareness or is it a trigger? And they're one and the same. Right. I was just going to say they're two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Exactly. And so absolutely. And, And actually being aware of what your spouse is saying and being with them, you know, him or her, whoever it is. And really being aware of what it is that they're saying. And I think part of it is as leaders, we tend to, well, not, we don't tend to, but there's certain leadership styles that tend to be focused on the task, right? You go back to like Kirstie and Blanchard situational leadership or other things, you know, based on the context, some situations require you to just direct and control. It's a crisis. Sure. We need to be sure. fast and these things. But then, you know, there's this is actually work by um, Bales who looked at, you know, there's task and relationship needs in any group setting or in any organization. And oftentimes in a relationship with a spouse, you know, we're thinking about other things and we don't take the time to really meet them where they're at in terms of the relationship and connect. And it's the same thing with an employee. And that's where the empathy comes into place. And so if we just hear without judging in a non-judgmental way, the feedback that's coming in or what they're saying and are sort of conscious to step into their shoes. Like, what are they perceiving about me? And taking it somewhat with a grain of salt until you actually vet it and verify or make sense of it and things like that. And unfortunately, what happens in a lot of relationships is, you know, people attack, and people have triggers, right? But oh. but the dynamic plays out all the time because you feed into that trigger when your spouse is 
doing something that's going to trigger you and they know it's going to trigger you in a certain way. But if you take the time to pause and recognize that, you have a choice to react differently and not react, but to respond, right? Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm so excited because you just used that one word. I heard you say this the other day and I thought it was brilliant. Do you, do you remember it had the word attack in it? Attack. Oh, did I say? Yes. Go ahead. Say it. (laughs) Opposites attract and then they attack. And (laughs) it's a typical thing with personality. Yeah. Well, I see it all the time, but I, I, that phrase just really sums it up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it happens in the workplace all the time be, between a, a leader and an employee or, you know, other dynamics, whether it's in the home or a, a child and parent. Um, yeah, it is. So I hadn't even, I haven't, that's not even on my list, personality. Oh, yeah. But if you're okay with it, like, let's go there because it ties into this phrase that you just used. We just talked about triggers and blind spots. We didn't talk about limiting beliefs, which that's another topic, right? This, I, I find the filters, you know, we have so many filters. We have thousands of filters based on when we got up in the morning did we have that cup of coffee our personality what kind of car we drive all filters right and right. i find that in that personality filter there's a lot of work there to be done in terms of helping clarify uh understanding so people can give each other grace to your mm. point right they are like two halves that create a whole at some point, you're opposite of me. This is terrific. I love this. And they <laughs> they are attracted. And then at some point, I don't know, is it because you're getting more whole on your own? You're each becoming more whole. And now the person is just like dead weight. I'm not sure. But yes, they attack. Go there. Mm-hmm. Say more. Well, so with that, I think, I mean, the other part of it is when you look at the, probably the biggest misstep leaders make is the, in the communication and the active listening area. And so it is a dynamic. It's like the yin and the yang, because, you know, there's something it's like, did you ever see the movie um, with Jerry Maguire? Of course. Like, you know, it's like, well, you complete You complete me. me. <laughs> Right. And, and it's like, there's that part of it. And, you know, there's a dynamic there. And part of it is, you know, we don't always understand. I mean, years ago, I read the men are, men are from Mars, women are from Venus book by John Gray and recognizing that, you know, it, people are different and there's different personalities and because of that they value different things. And I know you also use a, a very powerful tool, not just for personality, but really to help someone develop emotional intelligence. And so that's what if you've got the secret to figure out someone's personality and understand like what's important to them and how best to communicate to them, it's a game changer in your relationships. It's a game changer in the, in the context of growing your business and sales and other areas. But ultimately, you know, the personality, having an awareness of that, that because I'm attracted to you, what am I attracted to specifically? Typically, it's things that I are not my natural state of being and mm-hmm. who I am and how I show up in the world. That's why, like, we want those things we don't have, right? Wait, is there something inside the brain that that you know of that does that? Well, there's, I mean, to some degree, there. I mean, there's there's a piece in the brain. I mean, you have mirror neurons that fire that are really more around, like, 
imitation and you even see it in, in infants when they're grow. you know, like it, when someone reaches or touches or whatever, they match or mirror. If you make a smiley face or, you know, making faces with the baby, I mean, they'll, they'll make those same faces, raise your eyebrows. I mean, they do it. It's like we're wired in as humans to match somebody in that mm. way. What happens over time, I think to your point about well, what happens, like the honeymoon period is over that area that, you know, the differences that were attractive. And then you start recognizing the reality of maybe the things that are valuable to you in terms of what your beliefs are and what's important to you that the other person annoys you. For example, you might have somebody that really enjoys, there's some typical opposite combinations. If you want to go there, we can go a little deeper in terms of personality types. But you can think about, you know, who you're in relationship with or maybe couples, you know, for example, we we actually went to a concert this weekend with another couple. And it's it was fun because the the um, husband is is very spontaneous and like just he he's all about excitement and opportunities and spontaneity and like, let's go, let's go over here and like there and he like check things out. And his wife was very much about like. No, well, no, why would you do that? Like, no, we don't need to do that right now. We didn't plan to do that. Like, you know, so it's like the structure that she had in terms of what was expected at this event, mm -hmm. the behavior, like, okay, you should have done that when we came in, not mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to get up and leave the seat and go do that. It's so there's that dynamic. And then after a while that becomes irritating. And then uh, people nag each other, like, you need to be more spontaneous. Can't you just go with it and let's go over here and do this or that? And he's like, no, no, because, you know, there's, you know, there was a plan we had and right. I, want to be, I don't want to miss this part of something or whatever right. it is. I think that as an example, you know, that type well, of Well, it's dynamic. back to the attack thing that you were just talking about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, um, when I meet a client, I visualize them. I see them as the stack of discs, like almost uh -huh. like a stack of records or deck Oh. and and there's usually one or two that's out of alignment and those out of alignment discs correlate with either filters or different assessments and yeah. they'll be talking about something do you find that as well like they'll be talking about something there's one gal she came in and oh my gosh for three months it was just right left brain stuff that's all it was because it was this huge you know out of alignment disc and once we worked on that and got it back in alignment, everything was great. She got a promotion, blah, 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 blah. And so do you see it that way too? Yeah. Why? Well, I, I never had the images of um, albums stacked up, but <laughs> well, not uh, albums, but like, like almost like, like discs yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I guess spinal discs or whatever, like you're seeing <laughs> in the body. I mean, are they aligned or not? And, and yeah, you've got, from an energy perspective, you have meridians that flow through your body. I mean, the Chinese and you've got other energy chakras and other things, you know, but ultimately if, if they're out of alignment, we know that's why people go, some people would go to like a chiropractor to get back in alignment. It's the same thing with your values, your beliefs, your skills and capabilities and the things that you're doing. Are, are they aligned or not? And as an example, I, you know, coaching a CEO, while back. And one of the things as we're talking about, what does he value? Like what's most important to him? He said family. All right. Well, let's talk about it. how does that show up for you? How do how does your family know that's important to you? He's like, well, I work like seven days a week and like everything else. He's like, do you think that's what's important to your family? Like, 
And he's like, yeah, good point. Like, well, I see my kids when I, you know, sometimes I'll see them in the morning. Most of the time I'm gone before they get up, but I usually see them before they go to bed. I'll tuck them in at night. And I'm okay. Like, and when was the last time you spent like more than like an hour with your son <laughs> or like, you know, so that's an, a misalignment, like, but I'm doing that because I need to make money because I want to provide the lifestyle for them. But it's like, okay, is that what's valuable for them? Having an absent father that's building a multi-million dollar company or, you know, having time mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. actually show up at their soccer mm -hmm. game mm -hmm. and are able to come home and have dinner and other things or maybe right. go on a vacation. Right, right. You know, things like that. So I see those types of misalignments and a lot of people will say something espoused values in an organization that are different from what actually is happening as right. well. Right. And that's where I think the congruency around, are you living your, are you walking your talk? And is everything aligned? Because that's how you get into flow in terms of your energy. When you have that level of alignment, then it's like your natural gift. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Well, and it's interesting. We both use a number of assessments and there's uh -huh. one that actually it's how we met. We were both on a committee. We found out we both use this assessment and it does speak to values. I'll say it's one of my very favorite assessments, which is so different. You know, it's that below the waterline, the iceberg analogy. And so yeah. many assessments are looking at above the line, looking at behaviors and behaviors are one thing, but we absolutely live by our values. So it's so important for us to have those aligned. Absolutely. And, and really when you look at who you are as a human being, values are pretty stable. I mean, they mm -hmm. can change over time based on things that happen, but you know, certain life experiences, but in general, much more so than a lot of the other assessments that are out that are, that are based on psychological traits or characteristics sure. Sure. that we know not, you know, they're not as stable over time. It's interesting. I was talking to, I was having lunch with a former CEO. I don't know. He was probably 70 at the time. And I was showing him the assessment and uh -huh. he was ranking where he fell, you know, in the, in the assessment and nurturing was, he put it at the top and he said, you know, in the old days, this would have been at the bottom. I was too busy working and mm. making money and, you know, working on my career. And now this is at the top because this is where I am in my life. And uh, yeah, I've changed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of factors. Yeah. Where you're at in your life. I mean, sometimes it could be um, other events like starting a new job or getting married or having kids or right. something. Like right. I can shift that. And also I think for people as they get older and I've got another similar story, with someone else who's actually doing a lot of work looking at <laughs> from an emotional intelligence perspective, being receptive to that feedback that I'm able to provide them uh, on something that was like in the Johari window blind spot for him before, <laughs> yeah, because he wants to make a difference and he recognizes that he doesn't have the type of organizational culture that he really wants to create and sort of creating a self-sustaining organization because he's at a point in his life where he wants people to own the company, if you will, and be engaged. And, you know, if you've been leading a certain way, we're nurturing that type of a response isn't your natural sort of predisposition, then you're not as likely to have people, you know, feeling like warm and fuzzy about coming to work. Right. It doesn't, 
Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. So yeah. much good stuff. I enjoy you so much. And I love that you have this, you know, nerdiness to you. And by the way, my, my son would probably put himself in the same category. Sure. And yeah. yet you, um, always have a smile on your face and you talk about energy and there are so many topics I want to dive into with you further. I feel like the time has just flown and um, we probably, oh my gosh, we're just scratching the surface. I think we need to go to part two. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to do that. It's always fun. And I'm, I'm not offended by a label. Um, again, that's your view. <laughs> And you're welcome to it. It doesn't mean <laughs> that I have to own it. Um, yeah, right. Well, and it's it, it really, it, I don't even know why it was that particularly other than you're just so smart. So well, thank you. I yeah, I, I guess you'll accept the smart one, right? You know, it, it's all relative. <laughs> you know, someone once said that, um, you know, it was attributed to Einstein. I don't think he ever said it. If you do like the fact check checking, but this idea that you, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life thinking it's stupid. And that's where I think just being non-judgmental on the work of I do of others, because I don't know what they know. Sure. And in any way, people are superior to, you know, others. And I think the other thing that I will share, just as an aside quickly, when you talk about personality, that the other tool that we were talking about, what I love about it too, is it doesn't label people. And then most of the, a lot of the other mm. tools out there label people as something extroverted, introverted, judging, feeling, dominant, whatever, this, that, and the other. And this one actually takes an opposite approach and recognizing that you have the ability to grow. You don't have a fixed personality type and you can actually step into different types of contexts and be more of whatever you choose to be based on what is needed. And that's really, I think, a mark of a great leader as well, is the ability to be resilient and adaptable and flexible and to bring what is necessary to the context, right? Which, of course, is also uh, punctuated by, you know, you had mentioned it in the podcast, Carol Dweck's work oh, yeah. on growth mindset, right? So I was going to ask you about that as well, but uh, here we are. Part two. Part two. So I guess for part one, uh, can you tell the audience where they can find you? Yeah, probably the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. And if you go on LinkedIn, Eric Goodman, I'm in Colorado, but it's actually the number two. Can you say Eric, that again? Because I think you just cut out. Actually, Eric Goodman with a C, E-R-I-C Goodman 2 is how you'll find me. And then also I do have a LinkedIn newsletter that I publish twice a week called Confidence and Leadership. And so certainly would welcome people who are interested in becoming a better version of themselves and then maximizing their leadership potential to um, check it out because I do get into a little bit more of the mindset and neuroscience as it relates to leadership and mm -hmm. things to help people really um not only leverage back best practices in leadership, but ultimately understand how do they lead themselves as well. So what do I need to do to get this newsletter? You just follow me. If you find me on LinkedIn, you can just subscribe on LinkedIn. There's no cost to it. It's free. Really? And so it's okay. a fun way of uh, getting information out and empowering 
leaders. And, and my vision really is to create a community of confident leaders mm-hmm. that I'm inspiring to help discover, leverage, and maximize their potential. So in turn, they're able to really bring that to the world mm-hmm. to make it you know, a better place, build better organizations, but ultimately have a positive impact on others. So that's, it's uh, well, that's wonderful. Terrific. I, I have to say, Eric, there's so many topics that we have alignment on and uh, I use different language than you. I'm talking about like a backpack, that heaviness, those burdens. I'm talking about, you know, the core, but it's, it's really the same thing. We are, we are so on target as far as I'm excited. I'm excited uh, to talk to you further. I would love to meet your clients because not really, but you know, I would love to hear them just be so excited about working with you. I'm sure that you do an amazing job because you're covering the full spectrum of work that I know we've both spent so many years working toward, right? Yeah. And vice versa. I'd love to hear that from your clients. Right on. I know we're both doing great work and making a difference and helping people. Yeah. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm manifesting it. We're going to do some work together. All right. I look forward to that. And public declaration, right? So, okay. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you part two. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Cool stuff. Love that conversation with Eric. And I promise he is coming back. Absolutely. So some of the things that were especially noteworthy for me, one was, you know, I don't, I don't do enough of it. It's that Zoom recording with the client because I see a lot of my clients in person. So it's that Zoom recording so that they can go back in a meeting setting and see their impact. That's a great idea. Secondly, remembering names, so right on. I have also found that not only are people thinking about what they want to say next, they are also taking in the nonverbals. They are taking in the body language and those cues. So that prevents us from remembering names as well. If you know me, you know that I'm all about the meditation and the self-talk and connecting with Uh, well, quieting your inner mind and uh, stepping into your power, so to speak. So love that. Regarding the Harvard Business Review paper that I was referencing, it is Putting the Service Profit Chain to Work by James Heskett, Thomas Jones, Gary Loveman, Earl Sasser, and Leonard Schlesinger. So read that if you are curious about that part of our conversation. Uh, The other thing is he talked about how important feedback was or is. We were talking about it in relation to Jahari's window. And I would say it also refers back to that conversation I had with the other Eric, uh, Eric Baum, episode two, about kind versus nice and how important it is to provide that feedback. It's just the darn kindest thing that we can do for people that we care about and that we want to see grow and flourish in their careers. Also, I love what he said about Meridians. And that, by the way, is the name of his company, Meridian Success Group, right? So he's talking about alignment, which we're talking about the same thing regarding the disks and operating from your core. 
So love that as well, aligning those meridians. And quite frankly, it just takes me to this next topic, which we didn't even cover. It's not even on my list, but that idea of flow. Looking forward to that conversation. Two last things. One is the F word. I think it's hilarious that we both know about the F word. Feelings. That is not where people want to go. And they practically break out in hives when we suggest it. And then I think my overall favorite, favorite phrase was opposites attract and then they attack. I think that's so funny and so true. One other prompt, I would recommend you go find Dr. Eric Goodman on LinkedIn and uh, sign up for his newsletter. Sounds super interesting. Lastly, the power of a recording. This episode is recorded. I had to listen to it one or two times and I'm mortified that in my attempt to tease, so my intention was to tease, I labeled somebody not cool, not cool for Eric and not cool for me at my core. So for that, a huge awareness. Thank you so much for your authentic reaction, being gracious in that moment and giving me an opportunity to reflect. That was really great. All that to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Great episode. It's a wrap. And everyone, have a great rest of the day. You have been listening to the Charging Up Leadership Podcast, and I am your host, Heidi Fry, charged up, plugged in, and sending you energy, light, and love. Find me at HeidiFry.com. And don't forget to check out my book, The Light Switch, available on Amazon, in your local bookstores, or on my website. The Charging Up Leadership Podcast is created, hosted, and produced by Heidi Fry. Theme music is by Yevchen Anoichenko from Pixabay.